I'm finna put all this in my book bag because I'm from the streets. Yeah, yeah. Boom, what's going on? It's your boy Ambition, and welcome to another episode of the MYFB podcast. And today with me, I have Mr. Chandler Walker, who's going to talk to us about sales and more importantly, how to get your sales done, how to actually perform the process of sales without being, you know, that sleazy car salesman guy. So how you doing today with Chandler? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm super excited to jump on and, and show your audience how to sell with compassion and care and without manipulation or being a bully or, or just like trying to make people cry. I think it goes too far. No, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, so I have a good friend of mine, right? Uh, she has her own business. She does. Um, she focuses on three assets. She calls it mind, body and soul. So she has hypnotherapy. She has um, certain products that you know, really are more towards the wellness side of the house. And one of the things she constantly complains about is what she calls business bullies, right? So we get the the people on Instagram who are coaches and who are business strategists, and they're telling you things like, you won't be successful FX, or you won't have this happen. Um, and those of us who understand marketing, understand what they're doing, they're really shorting, shouting out their pain points. Um, but does that have a place within sales in today's market? Is it, is there room for us to point out people's pain points um, while we try to get the sale? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think one of the important things to recognize in sales is the goal isn't for me to tell people what's wrong with them. The goal isn't for me to explain mm. to people what they need. The goal isn't for me to try to sell a solution. The goal is for me to listen and ask questions strategically to get them to tell me they need it. Because if I continuously move them into a place to where they continuously tell me they need it and why, and I continuously challenge that, now they're going to believe it. Mm. Because in sales, if I tell them, they'll doubt it. And the sales wall builds up because now it's not true. But if I just ask questions and listen and they tell me, well, now they believe it because they said it themselves. Man, I like that. I really like the way that you just kind of jump back into that, right? Um, don't so much tell people what they need, but ask them questions that lead them to figuring out whether or not what you offer is what they need. Exactly. And that's the important part. It's like, if they start to understand and if they start to see the problem and the real issue and what's going on and why they need it, and if they have to explain that to me and if they have to sell why they need it to me, it changes the whole dynamic. Man, and so normally I would just ask you to tell us a little bit more about yourself and that would be the first thing, but I jumped right into this question because I don't know if you guys can hear it on my voice. If you uh, see the video later on, I'm really excited about this episode, right? Like two subjects that I love talking about are sales and marketing. Um, so yeah, <laughs> take this moment now, tell us a little bit more about yourself, your business, and what are you currently working on? Yeah, for sure. I mean, to tell you about myself goes back to my childhood and really where I started to learn communications because I grew up with a mother who suffered from bipolar disorder. And if you've ever been around someone in, in that situation, what happens is they have extreme highs and extreme lows. There's really not an in-between. And so as a kid, often what'll happen is kids will become, they'll become anger. They'll be filled with anger to, towards their parents because of the way they're reacting and interacting. But what I learned as a kid was instead of being angry, what I can do is move myself to communicate in a neutral way to mm -hmm. help her come up and down off the highs and lows. And it made everything better, it made everything better for myself, my family, my sisters, all of our people. And that kind of taught me a valuable lesson of being level-headed, having a cool head, not getting anger and using emotions to drive people to make decisions, but being able to ask questions and ultimately analyze the behavior to remove the behavior and the aspect and not blame the person for what they're suffering from or where they're at. And that led me into a medical school route because I thought I would go in and help people for a living. It was going to be great. But the problem was I spent all these years studying biochemistry and microbiology. But then when I got in the medical field, I felt like I started to get disenfranchised because mm. I was just sitting here giving pills for a living. And wow. it really wasn't what I got into this industry to do. I didn't get in this industry to provide medication to people for a living. And it's not a shot at doctors. It's the system. It's designed to provide medication to get someone to move on because we can't provide follow through in terms of holistic health and holistic wellness. Uh, and so in research, what happens is a pill is better than an apple. And that wasn't me. 
So I broke off. And that's ultimately when I launched and opened up our first wellness facility and when I was driven into madness in the next environment. Wow, man. And I I really, you know, I, I really appreciate the way that you presented that. I've dealt with so many people over the years that, you know, you know, during my time as a hypnotherapist, which was last year, and I did that all of last year, I had over 40 clients um, that I did hypnotherapy with. And there's this really prevalent um, belief that the things that our parents did wrong, it it's 100% their fault. They knew what they were doing. You were the child. So, you know, everything that they did was wrong. And one of the things that I constantly had to remind people is that that's not the way trauma works. That's not the way that our brains work. That's not the way it works for almost any of us. If they knew that they were doing wrong, they probably would have tried to do better. And even sometimes you know what you're doing wrong and it's very hard to do better. So I, I definitely want to take the moment to commend you on you know, that level of maturity that you had even as a child, man. And and also to let you know, I, I definitely relate to that, you know, being very young and having to be a, a bit more mature than your counterparts, just simply because the situation calls for it. So, you know, kudos to you for that, man. Yeah, thanks. And, and I think to what you're saying, it's important to recognize if you're in front of someone who's suffering from something, if your parents weren't the, the best parents that you thought they could have been, if they knew, they would have switched gears and immediately shifted because our parents do love us, but our parents are responding to the triggers that became prevalent and present to them as kids. And they carry that on and they bring that environment and that environment perpetuates to their kids and it becomes a perpetual thing that just never really goes away. No, definitely agree with you there, man. So here's my my follow-up question to that is, do you believe that within sales, within marketing, for those of us who are entrepreneurs right now, that the majority of people that we may be marketing to, and I listen with a grain of salt, you guys might be listening and going, hey, that's a generalization. But do you believe that majority of the people that we may be marketing to actually do possibly have some sort of mental health um, issue, right? And does sales and marketing need to change to be more accommodating for those of us who have recognized that we have mental health issues, whether it be depression, anxiety, you mentioned your mom had a bipolar disorder. Um, is it the responsibility of entrepreneurs to really sit down and develop a sales process that is healthy for the customers that they want? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think it's incredibly important because what happens in a traditional sales process is they basically attack the pain until the person cries and the person just becomes a mess. And then they say yes, but then the person regrets it down the line because you played and manipulated their emotions. And so I think what we have to do in sales and marketing is we have to recognize that a mental health issue shouldn't be a stigma. We shouldn't think of these things as bad because everybody in some way, shape or form right now is suffering and is struggling with something, especially when you think about marketing and and sales. If you're marketing to business owners or selling to business owners, they don't just need leads. They need to pay their mortgage. They don't think they're going to be able to support their kids. If you're in someone in weight loss, they don't want to lose weight. They want to go to the beach and not feel disgusting. They don't want other people to look at them in horror is in their words or their mind and, and what they would say and what I've heard. Right. And so what we have to do is recognize that these are deep seated emotional problems and emotional issues that these people have likely been struggling with for a long period of time. And if we manipulate those emotions, well, we're going to get buyer's remorse and we're going to get refund requests because we enter the relationship in the wrong way. So when I look at the sales process and defining the sales process, we have to, and what I did in my first business, I went through 4,000 sales conversations and I had coaches and I was never okay with the idea of just stabbing the pain points and attacking people and bullying people. Mm. So I took the ideas of mental health treatment and mental health programs, including cognitive behavior therapy, motivational interviewing, acceptance, commitment therapy, and trauma and recovery modalities, and use that to align it and create what I call a psychotherapeutic modality to sales. So now it's not a conversation of making someone do something. It's a conversation of helping someone understand what the problem is, because there's the external statement people use, Mm -hmm. then there's the internal belief. And we need to define and uncover the internal belief. And once we uncover that, we use a process I call connecting the dots to understand where this manifested in the past, and then help them understand the triggers that continuously associate to create the problem they're experiencing today. Wow. Now, in this environment, what happens? 
Well, these people go into a self-realization moment of, wow, I never thought about it this way. I didn't even know this was an issue. What do I do now? Not me telling them you have an issue. Now it's, I didn't even see this as an issue. I had no idea. And to your point with parents earlier, mm-hmm. they don't know. And now they know. No, I, I totally agree with that. And I, I think, um, you know, even with myself, with, when I was going through, you know, the hypnotherapy process and sitting down with clients, you know, it, it's realizing that is definitely a, a field where you're dealing with people who may have some mental health issues um, or they definitely have pain that they're trying to resolve. Right. And they're conscious of it and they're coming to you about it. You, you don't need to stab it. And transitioning back into being a business coach and a business strategist uh, afterwards, I, I tried to take that mentality and we're still kind of developing the process. That's what really everything on the board behind me is. But um, it, it you're, you're 100% right when you say you, you don't need to continue to poke at the pain point, right? Um, in fact, what I found is when you start poking at people's pain point and you're continually poking at their pain point, it makes it hard for them to trust that you're the person that's actually going to help them, right? You start looking a lot like the people who may have done something wrong to them. And I'm not sure that that's how we want to enter into doing business with people. I'm not sure that's the type of relationships that we want to build. Um, So moving forward, where do you see sales going within the next 10 to 20 years? I think we've We've had this elevation in consciousness, so to speak, right? Or for lack of a better term, um, where we understand that mental health is prevalent, right? We have Kanye West and Pete Davidson battling on the (laughs) internet right now, right? And, you know, which I think is a very sad thing because both of those men have actually been very public about their mental health stigma. Um, But, you know, mental health issues within our population, it's something that we, we understand. So how do you think sales is going to change as an industry or how do you think business owners are going to adapt to the understanding of where we're going with uh, our our increased awareness of mental health issues? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think what's happening is if you look at the market right now, people selling, they don't want to do it anymore. They don't want to be part of the aggressive strategies and what's being taught. They don't feel good about it. You see a high turnover in sales reps in high pressure industries. You see consumers who are smarter about it now. They recognize and know what's going to happen. So they already have rebuttals and rejections prepared before they even get on the call as -hmm. to why they're not going to buy. And so because the consumer is smarter and because salespeople are starting to get burnt out because business owners in the business industry don't want to sell this way because we have a complete disenfranchisement of the whole system. I think what's happening currently and what's going to be more prevalent is the model of relationship-based sales. And Mm -hmm. so this is one of my tenets and we call this detaching from the need to sell. And so the idea is getting out of the mindset and mentality that you need to close and sell someone today and move into the mindset that I'm showing up to serve this human being. And then I'm going to move into a push-pull relationship. And what that means is I'm going to lean away and, pre- and say, hey, this isn't what I, I don't really care if you buy, this is on you. And you're going to lean in because I don't want it as much. The dynamics of human behavior say that if I lean out, you're going to lean in. And so when I enter this relationship, it's, hey, can I buy today? Well, I don't know. You, you could. I mean, why would you want to though? Like, why is this important to you right now? And, and why do you think this is an appropriate decision? So that's me saying, yeah, you, maybe you could buy, but you, why would you even care? And so what that does is it removes me from this idea and the stigma that all I want to do is make the sale. And it removes Mm. that idea of commission breath from me. And so I think what's going to happen is we're going to move closer and deeper into this model, which puts you in a relationship building realm. So if that person doesn't buy today, they come Mm -hmm. back because they trust you. And that's ultimately what I think sales is going to lead to leadership, respect, trust, and a relationship where people believe that you actually care about helping them. Wow. Uh, so as you said that I had a image pop up on in my mind, right? Uh, I'm pretty sure you've seen it. It's the viral video, Grant Cardone, uh, speaking in a room full of people. He calls somebody's office and he criticizes, you know, the business owner. I don't think it was criticism. I think he was just genuinely saying, Hey, if somebody calls and they're asking for certain information, you know, they should get it. But you know, Capturing the mentality of those guys, the Grant Cardones, the guys who are go get it aggressive about the sales. How do you make those guys feel comfortable 
about a more relaxed sales process. Yeah, basically with those guys, it comes down to numbers. If you can provide a system and you can provide data that your process works better, converts better, has better outcomes and objectives, both short-term and long-term, they'll shift. Uh, honestly, at that level, they don't care. I've worked with a lot of people in, in the higher level industries and they could, they could care less about it. Like the reps feel really good about it emotionally, but the company only cares about numbers. So if you come in and you have numbers that are better, if you go, hey, we, have a, we might have a lower close rate, but over time, the snowball impact of what we do creates a 67% increase in revenue year over year, they're going to start listening and paying attention and they're going to shift their stuff right over to it. And then all of a sudden they'll be teaching it. And I think that's what we can expect from the market as well. You'll start to see the Grant Cardone relationship sales thing. You'll start to see the Jordan Belfort and all these guys who are in this aggressive strategy start to shift and really focus on, on this relationship aspect because they'll start seeing the numbers that show long-term this actually works better because you create a better pipeline. And wow. in my opinion, the most important thing in sales isn't the close today. It's the pipeline you build for tomorrow. And if you have a pipeline of 7,000 people and even 10%, 1% of those people come back every day, well, now you have a big snowball impact that keeps growing and keeps building. And all of a sudden your pipeline is less dependent on external methods like Facebook ads and all this prospecting and more dependent on the relationships you built, which is significantly cheaper and more efficient. Wow. Okay. So I, I love everything you're saying, man, but I, I have to do my due diligence as a podcaster and try to give you some difficult questions, but you're like knocking it. all of these all out the park. <laughs> um, so what do you say to the, the introverted business owner that, you know, maybe they aren't so great with building relationships. It's not that they don't care about people, but you know, maybe they're a little awkward, right? Yeah, that's a good question. And so honestly, I think introverts are better at this because they don't mm. have that need to talk. Like as extroverts, if they hear someone stop talking, they need to fill the gap because it's like, oh, he, he stopped talking. I need to say stuff. That's with, me. <laughs> with introverts, it's like you can use the weapon of silence, which is the most powerful weapon you have in your arsenal. Like if I say when we get done and, and I'm like, hey, so what do you want to do now? Uh, we get the end of our sales calls and I'll usually say, hey, so what do you want to do at this point? And someone will come in and say, wait, can, can I buy this thing? Sure, that depends. And so that silence and just that, that tone moves people into a different dynamic. And so when you look at the, the introvert, all they have to do is, is one of my core concepts I call achieve level five listening. Mm. That's empathetic listening. All you have to do is ask questions with a purpose and intent to define what's going on and then ask more questions to connect the dots, to find the triggers and to help that person realize what's happening. You should be talking 3% of the time and the other person should be talking to you about what's going on the rest of the time. And so in my opinion, introverts typically do better because they're in a position to where they don't want to talk as much. So they like it. They like just asking simple questions. No, no, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I've been told over the years uh, that I've been in sales that, you know, and if you're in business, you're in sales. All right. Like, oh, yeah. 100%. I, I, I don't, if you're listening to this, if you have a website, you talk to people on the phone, you do any sort of business, you're in sales. So over the years, I, I've heard and I've had to take the, uh, accept the lesson of, I talk myself out of sales sometimes. Right. And, you know, there's this battle between, well, you know, this is your authenticity or versus, you're actually talking yourself out of sales. So how do you, you know, address people where they're saying, well, this is authentically who I am. You know, I, I overshare because I overlove, right? That's not me. I'm not, <laughs> I don't overshare because I overlove, but you know, I, I've heard that said, you know, sometimes when I tell people, Hey, you're talking yourself out of sale. Like I had to learn, I was talking to myself out of sale. What do you say to the person who goes, well, you know, this is more so the authenticity, the uh, authentic route for me. Yeah. I think that's important to, be authentic and really bring yourself into your process. But you also have to do move into level five, level five leadership or, or empathetic listening and say, this conversation isn't really about me. Mm. So maybe what I need to do is put my ego aside, step outside of my own thoughts, beliefs, ideas, and model of the world, and give this person the opportunity for me to step into theirs and listen to their story and help them share their story and help them bring that story out. Because once I do that, my ideas, implications, ego, they don't matter anymore. All that matters is that other human being I'm talking to. So if you have that authentic feeling that you have love for the other people and you're sharing based off that, maybe it's time to reconsider your own things you're sharing 
and listen to them and give them the opportunity to share and talk about things that likely they've never talked to another human being about before. Mm. So you're giving them the opportunity to heal. You're giving them the opportunity to become stronger. Wow. And all it takes is just pushing your ego aside for a few moments. And man, that that's something that, you know, is definitely on brand with us here at the MYFB podcast, because, you know, I, I believe authenticity is actually the balance between ego and purpose, right? And purpose, contrary to people's pop, uh, people's popular belief, um, purpose doesn't have anything to do with you. It has everything to do with what you do for other people, right? It has everything to do with the mark that you leave on the world and the work that you do that makes the world a better place. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have ego, right? Now, I don't think ego is necessarily all bad. I think ego lets you know, you know, who you are and then authenticity smack dab in the middle. If you know who you are and you can pick out the strengths of who you are to operate and move towards your purpose, then you're pretty much in alignment there. And I think that's really, you know, when I hear people tell me, well, you know, I'm being authentic. No, you're being an ego. You think it's authentic, but you've forgotten your purpose. And that's why it's ego. So definitely agree with you there. Um, what, what do you say to the individual that says, man, I need sales yesterday, right? So, you know, you mentioned that the process takes a little bit longer. How, how, how do you get around the person that says they need sales yesterday? Like you mentioned, entrepreneurs, you know, they got bills to pay, they have a mortgage, they got to take care of their kids. Um, and when they start a process, they're, they're also looking for expediency and efficiency. Uh, how does taking the time to build the relationship help them get sales faster? Or does it help them get sales faster? Yeah, that's a good, good, good question. So what we look at is we build the relationship long-term. So we build a pipeline that builds over. But what we also find is people who adopt this system and move into what we call becoming a challenging leader, make mo they usually double or triple their close rate within about three weeks. And so once well, they start learning the system, it, it moves fast because what happens is you take the concept and this is the biggest problem, I think, for business owners who need to make sales today. They don't know how to get past objections and it becomes this, this huge problem and this disaster. So what we do is we remove the concept of objections and challenge people in discovery to make sure they become a non-issue down the road. Mm -hmm. And so what that does is it removes 90% of the barrier to why someone wouldn't buy today. And so people do make the decision to buy today. You do have a very high close rate, but you also compound upon that from the people who don't by building the relationship that keeps them around long-term. So you essentially get to be a double dipper. You get them on the front end and you get them on the back end. And the simple concept of challenging leadership is say someone, you have the main objection, spouse, I want to think about it, finances. So what do we do? We tackle those head on in discovery. And mm -hmm. spouse, for example, isn't about saying, you need your significant other on the call today to make a decision and playing to ego. Uh, you're not a man if you have to ask your spouse or whatever to make a decision, which I think is disgusting and terrible. So for us, it's more about alignment. Uh, if right. the reasons people aren't successful, the people who have a spouse or a significant, significant other, a business partner, is because the business partner is oblivious to the process that's about to happen. And so mm. if the business partner, even if they care about the business more than anything in the world, if they don't know what's going on and if they don't know what's happening, they can't help you be successful and they will be a detriment. And, and you can see this and people need leads. They buy a Facebook ads thing, but the business partner doesn't want to invest into the money to make it work. So the thing fails. And so now we have to challenge alignment. We have to challenge whether or not they really need this thing, which challenges I want to think about. And we have to challenge them in finances. We want to uncover everything about their finances. We want to know how much they make, how much they take home, what it looks like after taxes, what the credit situation looks like. So we can not only understand, can they afford this thing and ethically enroll people in and not enroll people who can't, mm -hmm. but also put people in a position to where they learn that it's okay to talk to us about the hard things and the uncomfortable things sometimes. Wow. That, I think that's uh, something very powerful that you just said, where you're giving people permission to talk to you about the hard things. And the reason I believe that's really powerful is we really do live in a world where the things that people don't say is strictly because they don't want to be judged. And you're 100% right about that. I think um, when you talk about, you know, increasing the, the level of your listening and uh, the relationship of listening to leadership, there was something I was watching that talked about how Nelson Mandela learned to be a great leader. 
he said that his uh, father was a tribal chief or was a chief and everybody in the meeting spoke before his father, right? So his father had to listen to everything that everyone said before he actually opened up his mouth to give his opinion. And I think about, you know, the way that I learned leadership while I was in the Marine Corps and, you know, leadership examples that I've seen in corporate America, it's leader speak first, uh, then the team speaks. And I, I think that you're, what you're saying is right. You know, it's 100% right. Even when I work with my team, um, I get a much better time if I just shut up and listen to them first. And then when I open up my mouth and speak, they go, okay, yes, I can agree with you because you've answered the concerns that I have, right? And that I think that's a pretty big deal, of, uh, pretty pretty big portion of it. The concerns that people have and if you can answer those, then that's what really what that's really what makes you a leader, and that's really what's going to get you the sale. So, how do you how do you really address those concerns? You mentioned the objections, uh, whether or not the spouse is there or not there, right? But how do you really answer the concerns and really what what are some of the like what's one example of a technique that you would use to make someone feel listened to? Yeah, that's a good question. And the big thing is it comes down to listening and asking good questions. So if someone says, I want to lose weight. Okay, that's that's great. A lot. That's probably why most people get on this call. But what what makes weight loss important to you? Like, why does it matter? Mm. So I'm just, I have this concept of you stroke their ego and validate their concern. Hey, what, I understand it. It's important. And, and I'm listening to you. Then I reverse it with a question. So now I ask a question based off of it, and then I continue to loop that. And what happens is it's like, well, I just, I want to be okay to be in a bikini. Oh, gotcha. So, and I can see why that would be important. I want to look good in a bikini, but <laughs> when you think about this, why? Like, why does it matter how you look on the beach? Well, because I'm, I'm embarrassed and, and I'm, I'm scared of what other people think about me. Mm. Um, gotcha. Well, I can really understand where you're coming from. So what makes you feel embarrassed? Now you have the deep, the real answer. And now people get to that place to where they start to feel listened to and, and they start to really give you the real answer of what's really going on. Because we went from external statement all the way down to internal belief. Mm. I don't like myself. I don't like how people look at me. I don't want to be naked in front of my spouse. Uh, I, I need leads, but it's not really because of leads. I feel like I'm going to fail my family. I'm a failure as a father, failure as a business owner, whatever. But then it becomes this real thing. And that's when people stop for a minute usually. And, and, and they may start stuttering and not be able to speak as much. And sometimes I'll even apologize. Hey, I'm sorry for, for not being able to, to talk as much, but I've just, I've never shared this kind of stuff with somebody. Right. And we need to validate that. Like, Hey, I, I just, I want to stop for a moment and let you know that I'm here to listen. And I appreciate you for being vulnerable. And I appreciate you for being comfortable with who you are. I, I really love the fact that we're having this conversation today. I'm going to be very candid and very authentic. My business partner, let me have it yesterday because everything that we're talking about right now, I was doing the opposite of, right? And I was maybe for about a week or two, I was doing the opposite of it. Because like I said, I, I know better. I, but I slipped into some of those things that you talked about, like, uh, I needed, you know, I was worried about landing customers sooner. I was worried about, well, I have this bill coming up. And sometimes I, I put those things out on social media, like, hey, if you're an entrepreneur, worry about the customer's needs. Don't worry about the fact that you need to pay bills because worrying about the fact that you need to pay the bills is what's causing you to be an asshole, right? And I'm just being honest. I'm, and exactly. I'm, I'm saying this even about myself. Sometimes being an entrepreneur and worrying about, yeah, hey, I need to make the money. I need to pay the bills. I need to make sure that I keep the lights on. It's turning you into an asshole. It's turning you into somebody that people don't want to buy from. So what would you recommend to that person who is worried about it, who is worried about, you know, the bills, the money, um, and their start, their character is starting to change. It's like they threw water on a gremlin, right? Um, how do you, how do you recommend to that person 
that they put this in better perspective for themselves? Yeah, that's a good question. So what I typically do in this environment is we examine the evidence. And so this is a technique from, I think, cognitive behavior therapy, but we take a a look at what's going on. Okay. I need to pay bills. Okay. Is, am I not going to be able to pay, pay this bill in, in a month? Am I not going to be able to pay this bill in two weeks? Chances are, okay, yes, I can't pay this bill. Okay, well, if I can't pay this bill, what happens? Oh, well, my lights get turned off or whatever. Okay, well, if that's all I focus on, does that help my business? If that's mm. all I focus on, does that make me a better business owner? No, well, it does no. not. <laughs> yeah. And so then, okay, well, now it doesn't. Okay, so then what is that? where does that take you? Well, it takes me to the realm of, of desperation. And what does that do? It makes you angry and aggressive. And what does that do? Well, that pushes customers away. And then what does mm. that do? That makes it so you can't pay your bills. You just went full circle. But okay, what do you, what do you say to, and I, you guys might be getting tired of these. What do you say to this person? <laughs> but th- this is really an episode that I'm excited about because these questions that, that I'm asking, I, I feel are definitely on point. I think that a lot of entrepreneurs are gonna listen to this and go, yeah, I felt like that, right? So for myself, I'm a veteran, right? And you know, coming out of the military, it's a really aggressive, really assertive environment. And I gotta be honest, man, sometimes you kind of, you fall in love with the aggression, you fall in love with the assertiveness, you, you fall in love with being that asshole that gets shit done right now, right? How, what do you say to the person that's, they're, they're in love with it, that, that's the person that they think they need to be. They're watching, uh, you know, they're, they're watching people online. I, I was going to throw a couple of names out, right? I was going to say 50 Cent, but I don't actually think he's like that as a leader. I think he's just, that's his personal personality yeah. or radio personality. But as a leader, he seems really great. Um, but what do you say to the person where that they love that aspect of it? They they came from the the old school tribe of leadership and they just, they, they like being in power. They like being a jerk. Yeah, that's a good question. And so what I think you have to do is you have to recognize that we have different variations of people growing up at this point. And these people are growing up in different realms, different modalities, mm. different thought processes. And this is why people in the older generation cannot interact with millennials as well. And why there's a, a sort of culture gap there, because right. they don't know how to communicate together. And this moves into a concept that I call level five leadership. And so you have to move into this empathetic listening model, you can still get shit done, you can still work hard, you can still kind of be an alpha in what you do. But you have to recognize that to be a good leader, it's not about what you do. It's about what you can get your team to do. And so if I'm an asshole and if I'm constantly hustling them and pushing them, they're going to push away and then I'm going to get high turnover. And so if I can move outside of my own domain and say, okay, well, what can I do to motivate these people? How can I ask them questions? How can I communicate with them? And how can I step into the way they think, feel, and operate to create motivation? And when you look at the millennial environment, it's not about like work. It's not about working hard. No, it's not. (laughs) It's about vision for the future. And so millennials will be more likely to stick with the business, work harder, even for lower pay, if they believe in where it's going. And if you can provide a vision that they can believe in. A millennial is going to be the person who stays because of the environmental impact the business has, or because of what this this business does to save children somewhere, or what this business does to save people disenfranchised by something like the, the Russia that it treats women, diversity, exactly. inclusion. That, this is right. what motivates that stuff really matters to us. Exactly. And that's what motivates millennials. So if you come to a millennial and you say, I need you to work hard because we need to make more money because this business needs a structure and we need to, we need to crush it this year and uh, raise revenue 79% year over year. A millennial is going to be like, yeah, who cares? I quit. But if you come to them and say, hey, what we need to do is we, we, the goal to grow this business is so we can grow revenue to be able to give back. This year, we're dedicated and devoted to building houses in in Africa. This year, we're dedicated and devoted to helping the people displaced who are Ukrainian refugees in Poland. This year, we're devoted to helping minorities. This year, we're devoted to doing this. And we're going to provide this much of revenue that we earn and gain to this. Now, you're going to have millennials who will stand up in arms to do whatever they can to support that thing. No, I I definitely agree with that. So I do believe that you know, businesses have taken the great resignation and they've started looking at how, not only how they treat their employees, but what they actually stand for, right? There's um, some people doing really amazing things um, and 
that's really what I see millennial leaders doing. Like we're trying to go into spaces and make massive impact. Um, but you're right, right? Even for myself who I've gone through, you know, a lot of those environments where I had the assertive leaders, I've walked away from all of those environments, right? Like, and I, my last gig that I walked away from, I think was a uh, 200K a year, right? And you're right. The reasons that we walk away is, look, this isn't making sense. It's not about, it's not fulfilling, right? That's one of the things that I, I hear a lot from millennials. Like, it's not allowing me a place of fulfillment. It doesn't allow me space, you know, either to be myself or to care about the things that I care about and then the causes. Um, so, I, man, you've really studied the uh, the millennial <laughs> audience, man. Oh, so what do you think about the, the, the generation coming behind millennials, right? Like the Gen Zers, what, what drives Gen Zers when it comes towards sales? Yeah, that's a good question. So now we're going to see millennials having trouble in, in interacting with Gen Zers. And I think it's a little bit cleaner because it's, it's a, it's a gap that works a little bit better because it's a gap that includes technology. Like right. millennials were the first group to have real technology. Gen Zers are the ones who really live in technology. And so I think what's going to have to happen for this gap is Gen Zers, they want to see the world become a better place, but they want to see the world become a more technological place. And mm. so in order to sell and interact with this environment, we have to be able to embrace technology. We have to be able to embrace the idea of using it in our every aspect of our lives. Like this concept of not being on your phone, it doesn't exist in that environment. The concept of being on your phone is that environment. And right. so we have to move into this environment to where it's not just the impact we create, but it's the impact we create with technological solutions that get them excited and motivated for what's going to come for them. I definitely agree with that. I think um, one of the things that I've drove myself kind of ragged on is trying to attract a younger audience by doing all of the social media and content that I need to produce myself. And um, anybody listening, don't do that. Hire out, right? Like build a team because you really do need like a team creating content and uh, people that really believe in the mission that you're pushing uh, to really blow up on social media. If you're creating all of the content yourself, it becomes very difficult um, and very time consuming. And if you're focusing on trying to develop a sales process and a marketing strategy and doing social media, uh, I know some of my solopreneurs out there, you, you're probably hitting your head against the wall every day thinking like, man, I, I, I don't have time to come up with a 300 word caption today, right? Um, so no, I, I definitely agree with that. It, there, use templates, use uh, people who, social media managers, use content creators, go out and get someone from the generation. If you're not in the generation that your target audience is in, go and get somebody from that generation to help you with the thing that's the hardest. Yeah, right? and, and there's a good point there too. Like when you're looking at Gen Zers and you're putting out content, it's not about, a lot of people think that it has to be professional content and content has to be like this, this thing that's boring, but Gen Z, they, they don't, they don't care about that. They want to laugh. They want to watch cat videos. They want to watch people get hurt and fall over. So your content needs to play into that. Your content needs to have humor, needs to have fun. You need to be and portray what they feel and see in your content. And if you do that, you'll connect with that market. If you don't, they'll ignore you. No, that that's definitely right. I think that's why um, you see people like Gary Vee have so much success. It's the making your stake in the ground that says, hey, I curse because that's what I do. It's authentic. I'm not cursing to be vulgar, but, you know, people love it and people listen. Um, you know, for, for me, and I'm pretty sure you heard me on the podcast, like I curse as well. And one of the things that I've had to really pay attention to is cursing within your business really works for millennials and Gen Zers because exactly. of our introduction to the Internet. Right. There's all types of content that we ingest that has the seven uh, sinful words, but we, we, we could care less, right? It's, nor it's normal in this environment. It's not anything bad or like we didn't grow up with it being this horrible thing. Like, oh, don't right. say those words, you're going to go to jail. <laughs> so wh what, do you, what do you think, uh, when do you think the shift is going to happen where for those people who have large audiences of millennials of Gen Zers, let's say colleges and universities, do you think that there's going to be more invitations to uh, speakers and people to do workshops who 
or even sales professionals to come in and talk to these classes uh, that are more are less traditional, right? Like, so for example, the swearing, uh, profanity, a lot of people want to keep that away from, you know, their environments. Do you think that we're going to see those shifts happen in some of the more traditional institutions, i.e. corporate, universities, colleges, uh, maybe even schools? I, I doubt we'll see them go all the way down to like the the public school or elementary school. Well, not definitely not elementary, but I, I doubt it'll go down to the high school level, but where do you see that going? Yeah, I think we're experiencing a shift right now because universities and, and you can even see professors trying to make classes more fun. They're doing like activities and experiences and less lecturing and more actual beneficial learning for the environment. You're seeing high school teachers. I mean, I saw a school a video the other day of a teacher like singing vanilla ice, ice, ice baby to teach math. <laughs> I was like, all right, this is neat. These these kids don't know the song, but they love it. They're having fun. And then I see a lot of these big, these big conferences and these big stages and these big experiences moving into younger speakers who are more dynamic, who mm. do include profanity and stuff like that in their talk and just who have a new age way to talk about the world and, and what they're going through and experience. Because when you look at the way millennials and, and especially uh, the Gen Zers, they don't really react that well watching boomers talk because of the, the gap that's been created there and sort of the rivalry. And so you're starting to see these bigger organizations bringing people on like Gary V. He speaks very well to millennials and, and the, the lower dynamics. And so, and I see in a lot of these bigger conferences, it's becoming less about this like professional speech and more about who's a dynamic presenter and who can bring about the story that makes people laugh and makes people excited and really builds that, that culture and that cohesiveness that they want to great, build that grand vision. Wow. You know what, within this conversation, I think what we've captured is that, you know, younger generations, we, we care less about presentation um, and, you know, the vulgarity within your language. We're, what we're trying to figure out is, do you actually give a fuck about us, right? Yeah, is it meaningful? And, right. So I, I just wanted to capture that for anybody who's listening. Go back and listen again. You're, you're going to see that's really what the generations care about. Um, so right, we're right at the point where we'll hit story for a story. That's the segment that we're about to move into where, uh, you share a story with me and I'll share a story with you. Right. Uh, now this could be any type of story, whether it's a crazy wild story. I've had, uh, people tell stories about, uh, sneaking back into, uh, the States from Mexico via tunnels. I've had, uh, a lot of great stories on here, man, but whatever story you want to share, I'll match you with the story. I like set the tone though, man. Let's do this. So I have a great story that happened to me the other day. I wrote it on Facebook. It was a long thing. It was the best experience of my life. And I named my jacket after it. So I'm in, we're driving down the street. It's myself, my significant other staff and my daughter. And the, the check engine light comes on for oil. And I was like, that's weird. We had our oil change like last week. So we pull into O'Reilly Auto Parts. I go in there. I figure out what kind of oil I need. I get it for the car. I'm waiting in line. And this guy He's standing there at the checkout line and he has like a camo jacket on. He has ripped jeans with oil all over him, like a utility knife in his back pocket. And he's got like 84 cases of oil he keeps picking up from the front and back. So he goes back to get more. But before he goes back, he looks at me and I look back and I'm like the kind of guy who will wave and say hi to somebody. But then he looks again and doesn't do anything. And I'm like, okay, this is weird. This is an ego battle. I'm not going to look again. So I just didn't look at him again. And then I check out and I walk out and he comes out a couple minutes later. I'm in, I'm opening my trunk and my car engine and everything to put the oil in. And he walks out the door and he goes, he says something. And it, it sounded like it was a little bit aggressive. So I'm like, uh, what, what did you say? What's going on? And then he looks at me and he goes, say something else and I'll come over there. And I was like, wait, what is this guy trying to fight me? And I don't even know what we're fighting about. <laughs> and I have my little girl in the car and I don't really care. So I'm like, all right, whatever. I was like, all right, have a, have a great day, dude enjoy yourself. <laughs> and so then I'm pouring oil. He gets in his car and I, I kind of, in that moment, I'm looking at the threat level. I'm like, okay, is this guy going to come up and actually fight me with my little kid in the car and everything? He's got a utility knife in his back pocket. So there is a, a little bit of a threat, but I do also notice that he keeps talking and walking to get into his vehicle. I'm like, okay, so unless I escalate the situation, nothing's going to happen. But then he gets in his car and keep in mind, I'm wearing a, I have my hair up, my hair is longer and I have it up in like a bun, like a man mm -hmm. bun with a little comb or the samurai knot. And I'm wearing a jacket that's purple and blue and has pink sleeves. And so uh, he gets in his truck and he drives, starts driving away and he looks out his window and he goes, gender fluid, gender fluid. And I was just like, what am I, what, 
this is what he's mad at me about. This dude is upset with me because I have long hair and a jacket with pink sleeves. And I stopped for a second. I was like, this is the greatest moment of my life. I am now naming my jacket gender fluid and I will remember this forever. Thank you. Weird. That, man who... <laughs> that, 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 wow. He's a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, thank you, whoever you are. And the best part about it too, is he was in a work truck with a phone number and address on it. Oh, tell like, me how... you called. Oh yeah. We called. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, like, how, how dumb can you be? If you're going to do that, at least be in an unmarked vehicle. <laughs> Bro, it's they people take their level of offense and they want to force you to live the way they want to live. Exactly. Put his model of the world on mine. And I look back and it's like what we talked about in the beginning. He's learned what he's learned through generations of indoctrination into that belief. Mm-hmm. And he probably believes that way about all sorts of other people and things and environments. And for me to interact and engage moves me into his model of the world. And to me, it just, it doesn't even matter, man. Okay. So I, I got one for you. That's um pretty similar, but I'm definitely going to, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I met this person's aggression level, right? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so we, it was uh, me, my girlfriend, and her son. Her son is obviously in the back seat in the car seat. Uh, she's in the passenger seat, and we're driving in a parking lot, right? And this is a parking lot over in Irvine, right, or Fountain Valley. And this guy is driving the wrong way down the uh, lane, and there's arrows. So I just rolled down my window, and I re- I was really polite about it, man. I promise you that I was the sweetest freaking guy about this so i said hey man the arrows are pointing that way and he looked at me goes you think i give a fuck you think a motherfucker like me gives a fuck i'll kill you and your family right now i'm like wait you said what like what is what is happening (laughs) right and it's like a switch went off like i'm from brooklyn new york i've spent nine years in the military you you know what words you shouldn't say to me i will X, no, bro. Like, so, and I'm not say saying that. I'm like the toughest guy in the world, but I'm not tolerating any of that. But I also train like martial arts. So I'm like, man, I was waiting for you. I'm so happy that you're here. I really had a genuine smile. I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to park over there and wait for you. Right? Come <laughs> over there. Right? So I park. He's like, all right, cool. I'm going to go through this drive through and come through and deal with I'm going to go through the drive through first. <laughs> I'm hungry. And then I'll find so, you. I park, I'm not even paying attention. I'm like, I just can't wait for him to get over here because I'm going to beat some sense into you, bro. Like I, I would have gladly took the repercussions for that and stood in front of whoever and said, he said that he was going to kill me and my family. I was responding appropriately to the threat made. That's my mentality. Yeah. Obviously, obviously, <laughs> you guys know that's you know not legal, right? That's not the law, but my my personal code justified it. Um, <laughs> so I'm sitting there, I'm talking to my girl. My girl goes, yo, he he's driving off. Like, but the way that he took off, it looked like it looked like a cartoon. <laughs> that, that's the way it, <laughs> he took off. So he's like, he turned, he whipped the car and just down the road. I'm like, he's like Roadrunner with the little wheels turning. I was so dis I was disappointed. I was disappointed. I was like, man, you got up this morning. All I said was you're driving the wrong way. You told me you wanted to kill me and my family. And what listen, so for those of you out there, don't don't talk that shit if you know about that. Right. Um, but yeah, and do I do I hindsight being 2020, should I have approached it that way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I liked it. It was good. Yeah, and he ran, he was, ran away. He yeah. wasn't an aggressor. <laughs> no, but it, it's also just kind of realizing like that that was the moment where I was like, okay, even if, you know, even if I am gonna get into a fight, let me just I don't I don't need to be the the loud, boisterous guy. I didn't curse at the dude, I didn't say anything. I was like, all right, man, I'll wait over there for you. Right? He just drove off. I was like, man. I was really disappointed. You know how did <laughs> my my level of disappointment matches like if you wanted something for Christmas and your parents didn't get it for you. You exactly. opened it up and you got like a pair of socks. It was like, oh, oh the clothes. Oh. Why'd you give me clothes? Right. I, I was like, man, I was really going to enjoy putting my <laughs> hands on you. 
But for those of you listening, don't be violent. Don't. don't. <laughs> There's a disclaimer. Don't be violent. Don't hurt people. Yeah. But it's funny. It's like the loudest people are the ones running away. Like my guy yelling gender fluid. He didn't yell gender fluid to where I could clearly hear him until he was in his car and literally driving away. And so it's like they don't want to fight you. They just want to yell and run away. Yeah, they, they want you to hear their opinions. And yeah, I, I mean, I guess you, you could have put that on the Internet like the rest of us do so that it could make you some profit and you could build relationships with people who are like you. Exactly. Maybe you all wouldn't be mad. Yeah. Then you can be a little bit happier about your situation or whatever's going on in your life. And you'll have people who feel and think that way align with you. And and that's fine. You can grow your little circle. All right. So getting ready to close it out. What's the last thing that you would leave our listeners with? No, besides, you know, don't drive off if you're going to talk that talk. Yeah. I think biggest thing is fail forward. Uh, for me, the most important thing I've ever learned to do is not only fail, but use the scientific method and failure. So fail, figure out what went wrong, do it again, fix it, figure out what went right, do it again, replicate it, and continuously do that over and over and over again. Look to failure as an opportunity for growth and look to the fear of failure as an opportunity and guaranteed proponent of of not being successful. And so if you can move into a mindset to where you can fail and be happy about failing and learn from your failure and build upon that, you'll grow something exponentially. Man, I definitely agree with that. Um, How can we reach out to you, man? For those of us listening, how can we get a hold of you and how can we learn more about, you know, the, your techniques with sales? Yeah. So I give away my complete nine step framework. My philosophy is I'll give this whole thing to you and people still come to me for coaching because they need support and help. And so it's the complete nine step framework to creating compassion conversations. You can get that at nine step dot culture of care dot life. That's the number nine step dot culture of care dot life. And then if you just want to connect with me personally, you can connect with me. If you like Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Chandler underscore SAF. You'll see me holding a surfboard with my little daughter. Uh, and I also have about 9 million videos on YouTube. So youtube.com forward slash Chandler Walker SAF. Man, I'm definitely going to go check you out myself. And for everybody listening, go be great.